All right, and good evening to all you ghouls and goblins out there. Welcome to the first ever episode of Over the Horizon, a podcast about all things horror. I am your mysterious host. And I'd just like to thank you for listening to my first ever episode. Uh, this podcast, this show, is going to be mostly about, um, or pretty much everything about horror, uh, monsters, demons, ghosts, bugaboos, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I enjoy watching scary movies, reading scary literature, and uh, I just thought I'd share that love with the world. Um, I have a tendency to talk at people rather than with them, so I figure if I just shout into the void, eventually I'll find my audience, right? Really, though, I just like to talk about this stuff because maybe someone who has similar interests uh, didn't know about a certain movie or comic that I read, and if they listen to this, you know, they'll be turned on to it, so they can listen to it and uh, read it and what have you, and, you know, grow that fan base, and uh, the more people like a certain thing, the more that thing gets made. That's how the free market works, and uh, so the more people I can get to like the things I like, the more I get of it. So it's a win-win. So if you listen, uh, just know that if you have similar interests to me, uh, you'll probably get turned on to at least one thing that you didn't know about, hopefully. So whether you like the gothic horror of uh, blood-sucking demons visiting you in the night, or uh, the backwoods charm of a zombie invasion in some southern rural town, or if you're like me and you like watching monsters stomp all over Tokyo over and over and over again, this is the show for you. I'm not just going to be doing the latest releases. I'm going to be going back through all the decades. I'm going to be talking about not just films or singular things, but you know also um, subgenres, uh, phenomenons, actors, uh, directors, uh, just anything I can really think of to fill the air. Uh, which brings me to tonight, the first ever topic of the show, a man who has been in all kinds of films, but has been seeing kind of a revival. I don't want to save his career, but just, you know, of his popularity, maybe. I mean, we all know him. We all love him. The one and only Nicolas Cage. Now, Nicolas Cage was recently in a trailer for an upcoming feature called Willy's Wonderland. And in Willy's Wonderland, he plays a janitor who is spending the night cleaning up this defunct pizzeria called Willy's Wonderland and is accosted by demonically possessed animatronics. And not going for the obvious, uh, Nick Cage isn't going to be playing someone who is afraid of these monsters. No, he's going to be playing a total tough guy who is going to be fighting these demonic creatures with his bare hands and mop buckets and wet floor signs he's just gonna attack them and that's how the that's how it seems the monsters will be vanquished is by his brawn alone and i couldn't think of a more fantastic role for the guy but it made me realize watching this trailer that uh there's actually been three fairly recent uh films with him three very fairly recent horror films that i haven't seen and i think it's kind of interesting that he's just been uh kind of breaking out in the genre recently 
um, at such a late time in his career. And uh, it kind of got me excited to watch them and uh, kind of was the inspiration for me to do this first show. Now, if you don't know who Nick Cage is, and I, I really doubt that at this point anyone would not know who Nick Cage is, but uh, Nick Cage has been in all kinds of film. He's been in action film, romance, he's been in comedies, he's been around since the late 80s, I believe, and he is kind of infamous for his, uh, his acting. His acting is uh, what most people would call questionable. Uh, if you could say like an actor like Ian McKellen or Jeremy Irons is uh, their acting could be compared to like classical music. I've seen people compare Nicolas Cage uh, to freeform jazz, which I think is a beautiful analogy. Um, but uh, I, I really just wanted to look at these three newer films he's been in. But beforehand, I uh, did watch a few of his earlier works in the genre because he's been in horror films. The man's been in everything. So I did watch a few of his uh, earlier scarier films or at least horror films I mean, they're not that not a lot of them were that scary but some of them were and i just wanted to like uh, i guess uh kind of shed light on what i think is his underappreciated style of acting i guess because i do think he gets a lot of guff for um i don't think he's bad i think he's honestly a really talented guy and uh i just kind of wanted to you know explain why my argument to why he's a good actor and uh, so to do that, I actually watched a few of his earlier horror films like Vampire's Kiss and 8mm. And uh, I think both these films did really well in uh, kind of proving my point because they showed two different sides to Nick. So with uh, Vampire's Kiss, which is an amazing film, I would totally recommend anyone who wants to get the full-fledged Nicolas Cage experience to watch this film. Um, a man, a yuppie, uh, believes he's turning into a vampire. Now, there's an actual vampire in the film, and it's up for the audience to decide whether or not this vampire is real or not. But uh, Nick Cage is definitely just a regular human being who thinks he's becoming a vampire, but is not actually becoming a vampire. And one of the things I love about this is I mean, first off, he is just such a surreal character in this normal setting. It's a very grounded, gritty New York City setting. It's, it's. I actually really enjoyed how it has a sense of place. But um, he's just so off the wall. He's doing some accent that does not exist on this planet, and he's just acting completely and utterly zany. But there's a reason to this, I believe, because if you if you look at a lot of uh interviews with Nick Cage. He talks a lot about German expressionalism, which I think some people might hear that and be like, oh, it's just some artsy-fartsy, you know, weird thing he's into. But it's actually a very important uh, movement in film, and is uh, it's actually been the inspiration for a lot of modern movie makers. Um, German expressionalism also is a very, uh, it's, it's deeply rooted in the horror genre. Uh, I would say the two best examples of um, German expressionist horror films are Nosferatu and uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, I'm going to talk about Nosferatu specifically because it actually, a clip of Nosferatu is featured in the film Vampire's Kiss. 
And one thing that's just very interesting about Nick Cage's character, who is, again, just a person who thinks he's becoming a vampire, is he plays a vampire like Nosferatu plays, like how it's Count Orlok, the main vampire, and Nosferatu plays a vampire, which is he is very dramatic, and he constantly keeps his, his, his neck forward and his back hunched, and he puts his hands out like claws, and he's constantly having his eyes very wide, which is very uh, very typical of uh, German expressionalism, his very wide, expressive eyes, and he's constantly gesturing, and I think that the reason for this, or at least the effect you get, is uh, you get a man who's acting like he's in a, you know, early 20th century German expressionalistic film when the film is really a modern day take on New York. And so you get these people, these actors and extras around him and these normal people who are acting like normal people. And then he's acting like a completely different style, which is just, I think, it's really fun to watch because it makes you think about how acting has changed and, you know, what we expect out of actors. And, you know, for him to be doing this antiquated style in a modern movie, it's almost like... uh, I don't know, not a parody, what's the word? It's kind of like a, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just showing you how far acting has come. And even if, I wouldn't say he's bad, he's just doing a completely different style. And it's, it's got a really great effect. And I mean, I, it just goes to show that Nick Cage is willing to do things. This, this movie would not exist without him. Someone had to write this film and this movie would not have been good or even rememberable if uh, Nick Cage wasn't the star. And so, for as much guff as he gets for his crazy acting, uh, you know, there is a place for actors like that when you're having, you know, writers and directors trying to make films like this, you know. So without him, you know, he, he he's it's two parts of a coin. You know, you need actors like that so you can get films like this. And whether you like it or not, the movie has persisted in the zeitgeist for a very long time, uh, you know, as a joke. But still, it's persisted. It's memorable. Everyone most everyone has seen a still or a video from this film. I think the most famous is when he angrily, where Nick Cage's character angrily recites the entire alphabet. Uh, but I think that really ridiculous um, style of acting, I think also perfectly, uh, I don't know, it's it's perfect. It's the perfect mirror image to his other style of acting, which is Nicolas Cage can play an everyday Joe Schmo, average Joe kind of character so well. Because the other film I watched was 8mm. And now this film doesn't have any supernatural or, uh, you know, vampires or anything in it. But I would say this is probably one of the most disturbing films I've ever seen. It's also definitely a recommend for me if you want to see an actual really good detective thriller. It was written by the same guy who did uh, Seven. And I haven't seen Seven in a while, but I want to say I liked this one better. I think I liked 8mm better. But anyways... In the movie, um, Nick Cage plays a private detective who um, is hired by this old lady whose uh, husband just died, and uh, she opened up her husband's vault and found this 8mm film strip, um, you know, a film reel, and uh, upon watching it, she sees that it's a snuff film of a young girl, and uh, so she hires Nick Cage as a detective so that you can find if this is an actual like if this is the real mccoy like oh my god did i just find out that the man i loved had a snuff fetish and it's really 
you know, it's really interesting to watch because Nick Cage plays a totally straight character and totally normal average guy. And he is just further and further plunged into this disgusting world of pornography and uh, fetishism. And, uh, you know, this is back before the internet, so you can't just go on the internet and, you know, try to figure, you know, go on the dark web. This is like back when there was only film and video. So he has to go to all these really gross, you know, pornography places. And uh, it's, it's a really chill. It's actually a very chilling and disturbing film. And I had a hard time watching it, which I can't say happens a lot with um can't say that happens a lot really with the kind of movies i watch but it was it was quite disturbing and it wouldn't have been that disturbing if it weren't for the fact that nick cage was playing a very believable normal character that i was able to relate to very easily and uh, i think really with those two movies which i i both recommend for different reasons vampire's kiss and eight millimeter um that they really go to prove that nick cage can to both do his zany acting and his his normal acting um and i think that what these three films that are going to be the main focus of this episode um that i reviewed uh, or, or am going to review uh, mom and dad the color out of space and mandy uh, is what they do pretty well is uh basically combines his two acting styles his very normal acting style and this very zany and acting style which i think has been kind of uh i think that's been something that's i don't know i don't i haven't seen too much of his films but uh, i feel like most of his films he's either crazy or he's normal or but uh i think that combining those two things is really interesting especially for uh, movies where you know you have a character who's a normal guy going crazy he can believably be, play a crazy man you know he he just lets loose you know, it doesn't seem unnatural when Nick Cage is, uh, you know, playing a crazy guy. So, yeah, so without further ado, you know, I just wanted to, you know, preface that with those two movies and my two cents about Nick Cage and his, you know, acting style. Uh, let's talk about these films. So the first one I watched was um, Mom and Dad. Now, Mom and Dad is a pout. It's a very interesting premise. Mom and Dad is about some sort of not a virus but some sort of uh pandemic uh where parents are suddenly going crazy and trying and they and they go berserk and they are trying their hardest to kill their own children uh essentially um i think it's implied in the film it's implied that um it's some sort of like tv signal or something when the static is you know just making someone uh the kid that the parents snap and then they just drive home or they drive to their kid's school and they try to murder their children and they do it in the most gruesome way possible um it's a very interesting premise it's very similar to another movie called mayhem um except for it's more specific i guess um in the fact that instead of it just being you're going crazy losing all inhibitions it's very specifically targeted that only parents are getting affected and it's only their kids that they're trying to kill their kids specifically they're totally ignoring other people's kids it's only their kids now this film uh has a it's a very interesting story i i like the story a lot the, th the uh the whole idea of like uh parents killing their kids is very taboo it's a very scary thing to think about you know because sometimes you hear it in the news and it's it's a travesty it's it's, it's terrifying but uh, the way they do it in the film 
it's it, there's point it's it's really easily able to go from like the humor of it to like the actual like scariness of it which it does really easily and um uh one thing i think is uh very interesting is it just really it touches a lot on like you know how parents can sometimes feel like they're being abused by their kids i don't know it's 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 hard to explain um i think i went into it with a uh i could definitely say like disclaimer i'm a parent and uh you know i have a kid so these ideas of like as you grow older you feel a certain kind of melancholy about your life i guess like you you love your kid but you know once you have your kid you're a parent you know once you have a kid that that's who you are and it's your identity and it talks a lot about you know how that affects a parent and you know i i'm I'm not teenage parent but you know later on when your kids grow up and they start needing you less and kind of start shunning you how that affects you mentally and almost how it is i don't i don't know if i could say it's abuse but it's definitely has a very terrible effect on parents and you know it's something i've been dreading you know as my kid gets older the idea that you know one day he's gonna you know not like me it's sad i love my little my little guy so you know the idea of them growing up and becoming kind of mean towards their parents uh it also talks about plan there's a part where the teacher in one of the classrooms is talking about um planned obsolescence which is a concept i'd never heard before but once i looked it up actually perfectly fits the theme of the film is um this idea that things um it's like your iphone or you know your ikea furniture it's stuff that's not meant to last you know so you you buy it you use it eventually it breaks and you have to buy the new one and they talk about that in like a marketing class or something with the kids and but really what they're talking about is like you know parents you know like once you have your kids you've kind of according to evolution according to biology you know you've kind of fulfilled your purpose in life you know and so it kind of relates that to parents which i think is just amazing especially when you get the main the not the main actors i guess they're the antagonists because they're the parents trying to kill their kids but um you have nicholas cage as the father and uh selma blair as the mother and they both play they play it so well i've never seen two murderous psychos played so um relatably i guess or uh, sympathetically um you know there's a part where nick cage and nick cage again this is a perfect example i'll talk his i'll talk about his performance later but let's go on to the story you know where you know nick cage's character is feeling very like inadequate you know he's feeling very much like his life is the exciting part of his life is over and uh you know he somewhat blames his children for it because even though he knows it's not their fault it's like well now that i have kids i have to support them and you know you know i can't go out and just be excited anymore i can't have the nice sports car i can't go out and uh do donuts in the parking lot i have to go to work and and then you know the mother i think the mother is something that was very uh well conveyed to the film was the mother you know how society kind of treats mothers honestly is pretty it's pretty sad um where you know she uh you know after uh she was having a conversation with her daughter and she really got this just her daughter was just giving her the cold shoulder she was being very mean to her and so she tries and go back to her old office to get her job and she's talking to her boss and she's like well you know you said 
if I ever wanted my job back, you know, I know I had to leave to raise kids, but you know, you know, I don't think they need me anymore. So, you know, I kind of was thinking about getting back into the, you know, back into the game and her boss is just like, what are you serious? And she's like, well, you said, you know, anytime I wanted my job back, you would have it for me. He's like, well, that was 15 years ago. You can't just jump right back in, you know? And then he's like, oh, I know you're going crazy. Maybe you should go take some classes instead. Just implying that, you know, she's not a person anymore, I guess, or not able to work. Like the fact that she has to go and take classes, like she's some doddering old lady. And, you know, that really gets to her. And there's another part where Nick Cage, you know, his wife does the same thing to him where she's like, oh, it's the part where he's like building a billiards table. And she's like, oh, you're building a man cave. And he takes like offense to that because, you know, as a man, you know, if someone says, oh, you're building a man cave, it kind of implies like a lot of things that are kind of negative, you know, like a midlife crisis or, you know, trying to regain some of your masculinity. So it's, it's, it's really interesting how it taps into the different, like, uh, it, it really, I think, successfully conveys the kind of feelings you have as a parent, you know, and how it kind of affects you in a negative way. Obviously, it's a positive thing, but I think for horror films specifically, you can explore these kind of more, um, I don't know, things that people don't really want to admit as much. And uh, I think this film does that very well. Um, Production-wise, the movie's really well put together it has some fantastic movie the intro is really good the intro is got some really nice music and some really nice editing and you know effects and stuff it's uh it was i really like the intro and just in general how the use of uh, the use of music and sound in this was really good um they'll sometimes use really intense music or really soft music when it's like the wrong it's like there's a part where um you know someone's being murdered it's a very violent scene and there's just like smooth jazz playing and it works so perfectly it made it so much more unnerving and uh you know there's uh the sound there's like a part where um there's just a lot of parts where like the music gets really tense or there's a loud effect and it really i don't know it's used to great effect to make the movie seem very tense and uh you know even in times where you know if there wasn't the sound it would have been a completely normal uh you know would have been a completely normal scene but the music sounds used really good the editing too the editing there's a lot of um it's a very uh so there'll be scenes where like you know the parents are trying to kill their kid and then it cuts away to a flashback of them bonding with their child and then in the middle of this sweet little flashback it flashes back forward to like you know the parent trying to kill their kid and it, it's it's I, I really like that and there's a lot of scenes of like uh juxtaposition or uh, they did that with the um not only just the editing but also the music and sound so there's a lot of good uh juxtaposition one of my favorite scenes is actually um one of my uh, favorite examples of uh i guess uh more more cinematography i guess but there's a instance where it's the mom and the daughter sitting in the front seat of the car and the mom is talking and she's the only one talking but she's completely out of focus and you're completely focused in on the daughter as she's on her phone and uh i just thought that was a really good way of conveying that she's just not paying attention to her mom and there's even a part where like you see her kind of the reflection of her screen in in the front in the scene and it's kind of like separating the mom and the daughter and it was just really good and the movie was just really well made it was a very well made movie it didn't seem like this was uh someone's first time making a film this is someone who like 
they had a good crew together and they knew what they wanted to make and they knew what they were doing and it just seemed like a very professional film it was very good um it was fun to watch performance wise so this will get into the performance and specifically with most of these films i'm going to be talking about nick cage's performance since this is the nick cage episode <laughs> nick cage like i said perfectly plays a total normal guy he can play a dad perfectly i mean i uh, nick cage has a couple kids so but he plays the dad so nor- he does the dad jokes he does the um you know the the like Calvin's dad from Calvin and Hobbes, the old like uh, given advice that's actually terrible advice. Um, he plays a dad so well; it's it's hilarious. It's it's so funny, you know. And uh, his little like his frantic way of doing things, where like he'll chase his kid around and he's tickling his son, and that's another really good example of juxtaposition where he's just chasing his son and tickling him, but they're playing like psycho music, so it seems like he's trying to kill him um you know so just building up that tension throughout the film but yeah but when he loses it when nick cage loses it he legitimately seems like a character who's just completely a normal guy who just comes unhinged you know seeing him chase these kids around with just like this murderous intent and him screaming like a psychopath it works perfectly and it's it's pretty it's it's there's scenes where it's pretty frightening too it's he's he I really hope in the future, if he continues with all these horror films, I want to see Nick Cage, like, portray just a straight horror villain. Because he's kind of halvesies in this film. Because he's very sympathetic, and he goes in and out of his murderous rage. But, um, yeah, no, this is a, this is really, it was, this was a treat. It was a treat. I liked watching him like this. Um, did the mother, played by Selma Blair, uh, she was also really good, um, the, the, the parents the two people nick cage and Selma blair really steal the show and um they're they, they it's just so interesting watching them be so sympathetic and then try to murder their kids and you still feel for them and and it's it they're both really great and um that's kind of my disclaimer though is i'm a parent so i can see some of the themes in this film and get like kind of a more personal connection to them so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say for this film my verdict is I recommend it. It's a to, it's a totally fun film to watch. It's really well done. Uh, the story is very interesting. It might resonate with you a little bit more if you're a parent. So if you're a parent, I would definitely uh, recommend you watch it. Not like as a obviously not as a guide to parenting. You're not supposed to kill them. You're you're, you're not supposed to do that. But uh. If, if, if you want to see something that's a little bit a horror film that's more targeted towards you than like a bunch of teenagers this is definitely a good one um there are definitely scenes that are very disturbing and frightening but it plays off some more lighter uh some more lighter scenes so it's able to dance between some really morbid and really comical scenes very well so i would definitely recommend mom and dad and, and now that i think about it both of those Selma Blair and Nick Cage both played uh, uh, in super in horror superhero films where they had like fire powers because he was obviously Ghost Rider and Selma Blair was uh, in Hellboy and uh, that was another thing I wanted I watched Ghost Rider as a part of this so I might I might do um, those horror themed superheroes in a later episode so Hellboy uh, Ghost Rider Blade uh, but uh, yeah I, I like I said, Mom and Dad, I think it was a great film. 
I would recommend it. Uh, moving on to our next. So our next film I was so very excited for because I loved the short story by H.P. Lovecraft, the master of the macabre. Um, or I guess that might be Edgar Allan Poe. There's probably another title for H.P. Like, I don't know. But, you know, he's 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 a, he's a master of macabre. There's a lot of them. Maybe one day I'll be, you know. You're, think about it. Master of the macabre, your mysterious host. Um, but anyways, uh, I digress. The movie Color Out of Space, based off of the short story The Color Out of Space. Uh, the Color Out of Space, the short story spelled with a U because H.P. Lovecraft is fancy. Uh, this one was spelled with just the O. So anyways, Color Out of Space, uh, Shudder original, and I'm not sponsored by Shudder, but I 100% recommend subscribing to Shudder. It is a great service if you're getting sick of Netflix. Uh, they have crazy stuff on there, and I'm really digging some of their exclusives that I've been watching. But anyways, Color Out of Space. Now, the story, I want. it's really hard not to c- compare this to the story from the the short story because i've read that before i watched this and you know just to get a refresher after i watched it i read it to you know get a i don't know it's because it's hard to separate the two if i've already read one and i'm gonna have to say right off the bat story wise i really preferred the short story the short story is told from the perspective of a surveyor who's going to this um place that's going to get basically dammed up and covered in water and it's all just gray and dead and uh so he goes to like some old hermit that lives nearby and asks him why that why that is and they tell him about the strange days about the strange things that happened when a meteor landed on an old farming property and what it did to the family and it's very interesting in the short story because in the short story you see it from the perspective it's it's told from the perspective of this old man who's recalling all the rumors and all the things and all the he he's checking up on this family and every so often every time he checks up on this family they're worse and worse off that's not the case for the movie the movie doesn't do that the movie the the family is the main characters and i i do not like it um something i also very much don't like is they they just add too much to these characters in the in the in the story the family was just a farming family they were just you know f- farmers it was a mom a dad and three sons and they didn't have a lot of personality they were just completely normal people who happened to have a meteor land on their farm but in this in this movie it's uh you know Nick Cage and then um he has a wife and three kids two sons one daughter and they just have all these things going on that I'm just not a fan of. Like, I, I feel like some of the stuff seems really interesting, but it didn't go anywhere. So for like one thing I thought would have been interesting is um, the daughter, who's she's kind of the main character. She's probably got the most screen time. The daughter, Nikita's daughter, she lives on the farm. She hates it, but she's um, her main thing is like she's a Wiccan, like not like not like you know actually like she does like fireball fireball like just you know like a actual you know people do this today it's they um practice witchcraft it's like an empowering thing which was really interesting to see in a film you know and uh 
but she, and then like her brother he's really into space and stuff like he's super into science he's like a science nerd he watches the international space station live stream and you know he's just a science nerd and something that i was gonna that i thought they were gonna do with this was um you know because hp lovecraft is all about these unexplainable horrors you know how we're just insignificant little ants you know or flies on the windshield of the universe and you know uh i thought it was gonna be this thing where they were gonna try to explain it away and he's gonna try to use silent science to explain it but then you know something would happen that completely contradicts all known science or she was gonna use magic to explain it away but she couldn't because it just doesn't abide by anything she knows about magic just to truly like hammer home how completely unfathomable this you know force on their farm is and uh they don't do that is i think the only reason they made her a wiccan was so she could have a copy of the necronomicon on paperback and have a, a little nod like "Ooh, hey you're watching a hp lovecraft movie you know like she's got the necronomicon ex mortis isn't that cool so that was kind of disappointing they didn't really go anywhere with that um they had the mother um kind of she's like she's like a she works online she's like a business lady or something and she's constantly complaining about the wi-fi not being good and she's like a workaholic but that didn't really do anything um the only thing about her character that i think really related to this story as like a theme they were going for was that she was a breast cancer survivor you know and there was this sort of like scenes of like uh you know her being self-conscious about uh you know having her um, breasts removed and nick cage playing the you know doing what you're supposed to be doing being supportive of her and you know being really nice to her which is really sweet and saying you know you'll always be my golden lady um you know no matter what happens to you and that, that, that was sweet and i and i kind of got later on that like as the film went by and like you know this terrible force on their farm is mutating them because that's what's happening like a meteor lands on the farm and it slowly starts to mutate them and everything around them and that's kind of like you know the fear and like i don't know the the dread you feel when you have a family member has cancer and you're just wondering if you could do anything for them because the mother ends up being the one who is affected the most by this radiation coming from from the meteor but i don't know it didn't really tie in that well i mean it just didn't um there is a surveyor um it's the he's also kind of uh not, not the main character but he does have some narration where he actually says stuff from the short story which is some of my favorite parts um but i really thought it would have been cooler if he like was coming in and like checking up on the family then leaving going back to arkham and uh you know doing tests on the media and then coming back and like you know and every time he comes back it'd be worse and worse off but it isn't we don't follow that character we follow the family and it's not as interesting as it, it had a very bloated uh it, it felt very bloated because we're just following the family in this slow 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 burn that i don't know it's just not i would have rather it be more like the story where we check on in on them every so often and they're just worse and worse off and we don't know what was happening in between and they just have so much like stuff going on with the witchcraft and the science and the cancer it doesn't really work out for me i think the only character trait i'm really a fan of is that nick cage is like um a city boy who moves out to the country and tries to be a farmer and he buys like alpacas like they don't have cows and stuff they have like alpacas and he's just un 
inexperienced farmer. So when this uh, meteor starts messing up, like when the radiation starts messing up his crops, he thinks he's a better farmer because they're bigger or they're coming in out of season. Like, oh, I got tomatoes and peaches at the same time, which was kind of humorous. But it's like the only character thing that really, I don't know, the rest of it just seems kind of, it's just too much. There's There wasn't really a really good reason for her, the, the daughter, to be uh, a witch or the son to be um, a science nerd or for the mom to be a workaholic because it just doesn't, None of it really ties into the end of it, you know, so. Um, and then the young kid, the, the youngest son, you know, because there's two teenage kids, the daughter and the son, then there's like a little kid. And I think his only, the only reason he's there is just to, you know, be a little spooky kid, you know. Uh, but he's not that spooky. Uh, Production-wise, though, it was, it was at least a pretty movie to watch. Um they, they shot it in some really fantastic forest. I don't know if it was actually in New England, but it looked great. And it really gave you a sense of place. Um, along with the narration that goes as you get these big establishing shots of the forest. Um, that was uh, pretty nice in establishing a real... It did establish that kind of H.P. Lovecraft's... Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of the short story. It felt like I was watching the short story at the very beginning with those establishing shots and that narration. And... Honestly, I wish the whole film could have just been an uh, audiobook of the short story uh, while we watched these really beautiful shots of the uh, forest. Um, but it did give you that can of campfire feel, you know, like, ooh, we're going to be in for a real spooky story. Um, so the production design and the location was really good. Um, and the production design, like, the, the house was really cool, too. It was an interesting-looking house, but again, I don't feel like I mean, it has like a lot of like different uh, wallpapers and it kind of gives the house kind of a crazy vibe, but um, I don't know, it, it still seemed kind of pointless because I don't think it was used to great effect. Makeup effects too, like it was, uh, I don't know, sometimes the makeup effects looked really good because like there's a part where Nick Cage is like turning into a scaly, scabby weirdo, but sometimes the makeup effects are like not good so sometimes like close-ups you get these really detailed scabby skin but then when it backs up you it doesn't look that good or there's a part where the witchcraft girl the teenage girl she like carves herself with her knife and at first all the carvings look really gashed up and bloody and gross and then it looks like it was put on by a red marker like you know two minutes later when we see her again so the makeup effects were like really inconsistent which is, uh, you know, it was a small thing, but I did notice it, and it kind of made it seem goofy when, you know, you see this girl's carving a symbol onto her forehead, and then she comes out and it looks like she did it with a mar magic marker. Uh, there are some really good practical effects, though. Like, uh, there's at least two monsters um, that look really cool. Um, they kind of remind me of the thing, and they're pretty gross. And they get shot up and become really bloody. It was pretty cool. So those monsters were pretty cool too. Um, and then uh, visual effects too. The visual effects were cool. There was times where it felt like it was very, uh, you know, it, there was times it felt very spacey and otherworldly. Uh, sometimes it just seemed cheesy, but it was that was kind of hit or miss. Um, one thing I did hate though, now that I think about it, there is a part where the mom and the son and this is the part where like you know the the cancer thing comes in where like the mom and the son get fused together the little kid the little boy and the mom she, they get fused together 
and they'd be, they're just screaming in pain and it's like very obvious they just need to kill them and they're just being they're just in pain it's just it's it's, it's sad and i can't and that's where i feel like you know they can't oh you know it's sad to watch a family member as they slowly suffer and when should you just pull the plug or you know when should you let them die but it's like they are not acting accordingly like everyone around them is acting completely normal as this traumatic thing happens it makes it almost comical when you see this mom and her little kid getting fused together which is a terrifying thing to think about you know to think about your love two loved ones you know for me my two my two most loved ones getting fused together and just being in pain the whole time i would be in tears i'd be in hysterics i'd be on the ground i'd be puking i'd be snotty face but they're just looking at her like why isn't she why does she keep screaming and it's like <laughs> they're not acting accordingly it's 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 almost comical how much they underreact to this terrible thing happening <laughs> and that's kind of the thing is you can't just have really good effects you need to have the actors you know react to the effects like it's not an effect like they need to react like it's real um nick cage is a dad again and uh you know he he plays a dad pretty well and there's a part where he goes like a little nuts but really i think they kind of wasted him he's not really in the film as much as i would have liked he's kind of just more of a side character for these teenagers um so yeah i feel like he was kind of wasted honestly uh he does play a completely normal character he's a little quirkier you know with his alpaca farming <laughs> Uh, but it, yeah, he's not in the other actors, not as good. Um, if there's any characters I have to say I like the most, other than Nick Cage, uh, the, the guy who's playing the surveyor, he, he plays it pretty well. Um, he's just playing a hydrologist and uh, or hydrologist, yeah, not hydrolysis, a hydrologist scientist who studies water. Um, he wears a Miskatonic University shirt, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but um, he's all right. I wish he was the main character, uh, like the story, the short story. And then Chong, like from Cheech and Chong is in there, Tommy Chong. And I guess he's trying, I guess he's the closest thing to the hermit in the original story, you know, except for it's happening all co-currently instead of like afterward. I don't know, it's weird. Um I didn't, I didn't, yeah. No, I would say, uh, for me, Color Out of Space missed its mark, which is sad because it's such a great story. Like, you had, it was so, it's so easy to do that right. <laughs> you know, it's already set up so well, but, you know, so much things can go wrong, so it's sad. Um, so my recommendations, so instead of saying, you know, don't watch it, I'm going to tell you what you should watch if you do want to watch a, you know, a better version of this film. And I have three recommendations. If you want a movie that uses the theme of uh the original story better which is you know for all hp lovecraft stories it's basically that we're insignificant little specks of dust basically and you know at any given time nature or some force even more stronger and unseen could just wipe us out you should watch another movie on shutter called the beach house the beach house does this so much better where you know slowly and it's, it's actually it's a slow burn color out of space the film is a slow burn as in it's just boring to watch and then it does a bunch of zany stuff at the end hoping to make up for it but it doesn't feel earned at all the beach house is an excruciatingly slow burn in the best way possible where at the very end you get this 
just amazing just like oh my god this is crazy so the beach house i would recommend that for a better use of the theme for a better use of the premise which is um you know some alien force completely messes up you know the surrounding locale um annihilation annihilation is a very cool film and i actually immediately thought of uh the short story the color out of space when i watched annihilation it's a female-led kind of sci-fi horror action uh but it's very interesting it does the whole idea of like radiation affecting or alien radiation or some weird force affecting the surrounding land in strange ways so much better and it's it's just paced it's better it's and it takes it seriously too it's not as goofy as this movie so annihilation is a better use of the premise and if you're just looking for a better film that's based off of hp lovecraft story i would recommend watching dagon uh, which is not actually based off of the short story to God. It's based off of uh, the Shadow Over Innsmouth, but it's a great, you know, um, it's a really good, for it's a good film version of that uh, story. I like Dagon a lot. It also has a character wearing a Miskatonic University shirt, which is like, you know, perfect stand-in for the surveyor who could have been a lot cooler in this film. Well, my last criticism of The Color Out of Space is in H.P. Lovecraft's original story, he describes the color, because after this meteor lands, they talk about it emanating this color. They say it's a color that's unlike anything that's ever been seen on Earth. It's in, That's something that H.P. Lovecraft does a lot in his stories. He says, oh, it was so large, you couldn't even imagine, or it was so terrifying, you couldn't even imagine, and it works for literature very well, because you don't get a visual stimulus. It's just telling you something that's hard to imagine and your brain runs away with this idea like a, when someone tells you when you're reading the story you know oh it's a color that no one on this planet's seen and they even call it a primary color that's no one's seen you're like what so it's not even a mixture of two primary colors it's a fourth primary color no one's seen that's crazy it's really effective when you're writing story and it's just you know literature in a in the movie it's just purple it's just purple and there's a part where Nick Cage is like oh yeah it was this color I can't even describe it I've never seen a color like this but it's just purple so I'm just like nah man you're lying that's purple I've seen that everywhere purple's a color we got on earth so the fact that they made the color purple just made it frustrating because you know it just made me think that this shouldn't even have been a movie maybe it's just better suited for <laughs> a story but I don't know the fact that they just use purple it was just weird I don't know it made me upset um so yeah let's move on to the last movie um and i'm very happy i watched this movie last because after the this after watching color out of space i needed a good film so moving on into mandy so right off the bat i'm just gonna say i absolutely loved mandy out of all three of these films um this was definitely the highlight of my viewing experience and i didn't just watch the these three films i watched a couple other nick cage films i i watched a, a, a good amount <laughs> and mandy was still the best um mandy was just great um i don't even really know where to start let's start with the story the story is extremely simplistic um essentially the story is um a guy and a girl uh the girl is mandy the guy is played by nick cage um they just kind of live in bliss in the forest and one day a cult leader uh kidnaps and tries to rape mandy 
and when he is, he fails, he burns her alive in front of Nick Cage's character. And after that, Nick Cage goes on a killing spree. It's extremely simplistic, and it's it's not really the story, though, that is uh, the highlight of this film. It is a cerebral, it is a visual experience. This film, I, I barely felt like any time went by while I was watching this film, because every frame, everything is just so interesting. But anyways, uh, I mean, story-wise, it's a love story, very obviously, uh, you know, and they really do convey that really well. Uh, visually um, that Nick Cage's character uh, Red and Mandy are in love you know and this is kind of interesting because um, the last movie Color Out of Space uh, the, the, the the mom and the dad they're constantly talking about how much they love each other and it takes up a good amount of time Mandy they just show those two characters in the same room and just the way they're acting it you you can tell that they're in love and that is, you know, that's 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 good movie making because you gotta you gotta play to the strengths of your medium. And film is a, it's a it's a visual experience. So the more you can do visually, the better. It's so, uh, you know, you you just get that sense immediately that they love each other with very little, very little dialogue between the two. Um, and the other thing I really love about this film it's it's so, it's it's very fantasy esque it's very uh it feels like a fantasy i i i it seems weird to compare it to this since it's a really bloody gory horror film but it, but it reminded me a lot of the lord of the rings um just in the fact that it or even the hobbit where it just seems like a very um simplistic story about a man going out for revenge and he travels through the woods to do it and it just has that very old kind of tolkien-esque feel to it even though it's uh it's supposed to take place in the 80s in i'm guessing north america either um you know somewhere north in the united states or in canada uh but yeah it feels it feels a lot like if you if you watch it you probably know what i meant but it, the way they portray the characters uh nick cage's character really does feel like a ranger you know he feels kind of like the aragorn kind of character where he's he is a lumberjack in the movie and you know he lives in the woods and he has the beard and uh you know the mandy seems very elf like in her you know even though she's just sort of like a hippie chick uh she has like the long hair and she walks through the woods and you know she seems very elf like and fair and the main villain the cultist uh the cult leader he seems like an evil wizard just the way he uh presents himself even though he never says i'm a wizard like he actually you know he he believes in all this stuff about like how Jesus is um, giving him power because he's the chosen one. But he, <laughs> the way he presents himself, it's very wizard-like. And some minor antagonists are um, these biker, this biker gang, and the biker gang is uh, just the way they're portrayed. It's, it reminds me a lot of the ring wraiths because they're like wearing this messed up like bondage gear, and they growl and they just see they're always in the shadows and. Um, so that's that's one thing that they always it, it, they stick to throughout the film is it's very fantasy oriented which I, I just love but they don't just even use that they use um they use another motif that i like a lot because it takes place in the 80s it's very much uh a, it's a very metal it's a super metal film um it reminds me even the first the first 
part of the film is establishing shots over the forest as a King Crimson, which is one of my, it's like a really great prog rock band plays. And you're just like, wow, this movie feels like a rock opera. Um, even, even how they light the movie, they light the movie. There's parts where the evil biker gang is in the woods and they get bathed in a red light, but it's not just like a red light that looks natural at all. It looks like they're at a concert on stage and the red light is like coming from behind them. Like it's a, you know, like a spotlight, like it feels like a concert sometimes. And, um, they use that kind of lighting a lot. Um, it's, it's crazy because they mix that kind of eighties rock and roll feel with the, uh, fantasy so well, and it works just so well. And just able to, on top of that, they layer on these like horror, this horror imagery, uh, works so perfectly. Um, it's a little hard for me to stay on track with this one because it all just goes into each other so well, but, uh, for, for, so production wise, uh, movie just looks so beautiful. Um, the setting's beautiful, the uh, cinematography's beautiful, the the in-camera effects are beautiful, The it just looks so good. Uh, um, one thing that's really interesting is drugs in this movie, because you've got this combination of like rock and roll and fantasy. Uh, the stand-in for magic is, is they use drugs. Um, they explain that this biker gang, you know, the reason that they're so tainted and evil is because they took a bad batch of LSD and it's like tainted them, which is so at the same time modern and whimsical and fantastic, you know. And uh, they also use drugs uh, when uh, the cult leader is trying to rape Mandy. He does so by trying to make her um, passive by giving her uh, by giving her kind of. Um, acid i guess i don't know they give her something they they do a dab of something in her eye and then they make this giant gross bug stab her and it gives her this weird thing where when she sees this cult leader he's wearing this crazy robe and it's just so he just seems like an evil wizard and they use that they use that multiple times for the movie where drugs are used in place of magic and it's just used to great effect and i absolutely just love it um the whole movie, just everything about it. I couldn't see one thing about this film I did not like. It was just an absolute joy to watch it. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful rock opera fantasy. It's drug-induced violence. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend watching this. Uh, before I forget, Nick Cage. Again, amazing in this film. They utilized him perfectly. It was not at all like Color Out of Space. They knew how to use him really well because the very first part of the movie like the first half of the movie he's just a normal guy living his happy little life with his happy little wife and when he loses her i i don't know what i would do if i lost my wife but it'd be something pretty close to the hysterics i saw him portray on screen in this film because he just loses it and it's it's so i don't he again he just does things actors wouldn't be willing to do or he goes to a level that I don't think act other actors are capable of going to, and it feels so genuine, and it feels so real, and again, it works so perfectly. Um, I just, I really just recommend that you watch this movie. It's 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 a great movie. I, I really loved it. It's one of my favorites. Um, I've been recommending it to everyone I know. Um, so yes, Mandy, definitely the highlight of these three films. You should go watch it. It's on Shudder. It's another Shutter exclusive. Again, I am not um, 
I'm not sponsored by Shudder, but I really enjoy the content they put out. Um, so where does that leave us with those three films? So let's just do a quick recap. Um, Mom and Dad, definitely go watch. I think you'll get a better viewing experience if you are a parent, but I think everyone should go see it. It's a pretty decent film. It's, it's, it, I liked it a lot. Um, again, I might be biased, so that's the one thing that makes me hesitant. I'm just being like, yeah, it's an amazing, great film. It might just be one of those films that's easier to watch if you're in a different mindset or a different part of your life. Um, so maybe when you do become a parent, whenever you plan on doing that, this would be a good movie to watch. I don't know. Uh, Color Out of Space. Don't watch that movie. Go watch um, Annihilation or Dagon or um, The Beach House. Those three do everything this movie was trying to do way better. And... Uh, Mandy go watch Mandy it's so good um so you know this all in all I'm pretty excited from watching these three that you know Nick Cage is be coming out with another horror movie in um I can't remember when this one's supposed I think it's supposed to come out sometime this year so Willy's Wonderland I'm excited for that um whether or not I do a review of that one um depends on if I can tie it into some other films because I definitely um want to try to do this podcast with like uh, if i'm gonna do reviews of movies i don't want to just do like one movie i want to do multiple movies that all tie together somehow that way you get more bang for your buck you know out of the hour or so i'm gonna record um but i'm excited for it it definitely seems like it's gonna be different from these three and it's gonna definitely be tie you know all these horror films together even more i hope he continues to do horror films honestly i feel like the the, the movie movies nowadays are just so oversaturated with unoriginal like sequels and uh, remakes and rehashes that it's really cool to maybe uh i don't know i think it's cooler to see horror films horror films just have better ideas nowadays you, you do get sequels a lot with horror films and a lot of remakes but i feel like you get a lot of really cool fresh ideas and horror films have been delivering a lot of those really well um so I hope that Nick Cage, I hope this movie's good. I'm really excited for Willy's Wonderland. And I hope he keeps doing horror films, honestly, because I feel like that just fits him better, you know, because he's an original actor. I can't see him doing a lot of these, like, sequels and remakes and stuff. I mean, he's probably done a couple, but, like, I, I feel like he's just more better suited for the originality that is the horror genre. Um, so, yeah, hope just hoping that Willy's Wonderland's good. Um, so... That was the, we reached the end of the first episode. I I can't believe it. I'm so happy that I've uh, actually gone through and recorded this. Um, uh, I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try to continue to upload regularly. I don't know if I can continue to do it, continue. I don't know if I could actually start doing it um, weekly, uh, but I would like to do that. That'd be the end goal. Um, if not, I want to do at least multiple, like my goal should be at least three per month. Um, but honestly, I, I, I feel like I could do it weekly. I'll, we'll just see if, you know, I'm new to this. Um, um, future episodes, I've had a lot of ideas. I mean, honestly, all I do is watch movies. So um, I've had a lot of ideas for uh, maybe um, d- d- like uh, d- detectives and killers. After watching 8mm, I was thinking about, you know, uh, you know Silence of the Lambs and uh, Seven. And uh, I, I really like those kind of films. I feel like that's a cool subgenre i guess the horror is you know i really love zodiac you know i love when detectives are trying to find serial killers and the more depraved and violent and disgusting it is i just love it um i was thinking about you know like i said earlier superheroes that are in the horror genre i guess or horror adjacent adjacent heroes you know like ghost rider 
um, Hellboy. I don't know if I would be talking about the movies or the comics. I would probably prefer to talk about the comics just because they're the comics are always better. Superhero films are never as good as the comics. Um, so I'd probably talk about those instead. Um, yeah, I had tons of ideas. Uh, obviously, I want to talk about Godzilla at some point. I love Godzilla. I love Kaiju. Um, yeah, or maybe another person who's been in movies a lot, like horror films a lot, that you wouldn't think, you know, is attached to horror, like uh, Elijah Wood, who um, I think actually produced, um, I think I think for sure he definitely produced Mandy, but uh, he, he's been in a lot of horror films lately, or I guess, I don't know, He's he's been in horror films recently, and uh, I... Um, you wouldn't think so because you know he's frodo but he's really been going deep into the horror genre and I actually discovered he's been in those kind of movies since he was a kid you know because he's a child actor um yeah I have, a lot, I have a lot of ideas and if you have any uh suggestions uh you can um you know message me on uh twitter uh my my gmail is over the horizon spelled h-o-r-r-o-r-i-z-o-n um clever and uh you could email me there uh any suggestions for you know but uh you know, i'm not i'm not really expecting to have um a huge fan base before the next episode but just on the off chance that's how you would contact me um honestly and if you if you happen to have listened to this uh thanks for jumping on you know jumping on the horizon train so early uh, i really do appreciate it uh, this is something i've been wanting to do for a while so i'm very happy that uh I was able to share this with you, and you're able to share it with me. And I hope you, I know, hope I hope after this you, uh, you know, watch one of these movies uh, that I recommended, and uh, you could tell me how good it was. Hopefully, or you could tell me that you hated it and that Nick Cage is a hack. Um, honestly, I'm okay with that either. I love I love uh, any kind of discussion I can have about these kind of things. So, uh, yeah, uh, this has been the first ever episode of over the horizon i am your mysterious host and to all you lovely uh, ghouls and goblins and gremlins uh good night and thanks for listening